Hey, do you feel like you're getting thrown around the healthcare system and are frustrated with the lack of clarity that you're getting from your providers? Do you feel like you're getting suboptimal care and that you deserve better? Do you want help busting some myths and deciphering what's good and bad information out there? If you'd like to be a part of a community that's connected with the best resources in the area and is taking small steps toward their health and fitness goals, then this podcast is for you. My name is Jeff Danning, and welcome to the Seeking Wellness Podcast. All right, what's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to the Seeking Wellness Podcast, Southeast Idaho edition. My name is Dr. Jeff Denning. I'm a physical therapist and golf fitness professional. And I'm here with a special guest today, Kelly Gianna. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist that has her master's in clinical psychology and is really focused on empowering clients to access their inner strength, which I love that phrase, as you can imagine. So Kelly, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah, I've been I've been wanting to get some some professionals in the in the mental health area on the podcast lately because I think it's an under I think PT is an underutilized service as well, but I think mental health is an under accessed and underutilized area in the healthcare profession. So happy to uh, have you on and chat with you and and learn a little bit about what you do and and who you help in the community. So. Um, yeah, Kelly, I, I like starting off usually with a question that is unrelated to anything else we'll be talking about today, but just to let the listeners get to know you a little better. So, um, Kelly, what's your favorite type of music to listen to and to dance to? And those might be the same answer. Oh, that's a great question. I love music. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Favorite type of music to listen to would probably be worship music or pop. I also like country a lot. Okay. A hard one. I love swing dancing. So anything jazz or swing would be what I would like to dance to. Yeah, that's very fun. Did you, have you taken classes or did you study dance at all at any point in time? I studied music in undergrad. I was a music major, vocal performance. Um, But I did take a couple dance classes in college, a ballroom Latin swing class, but I was sort of into swing dancing even before that. Wow. That's fun. I would like to, I would like to take a class or two on that. I think, does your, uh, does your husband go along with it or is he (laughs) much into the dance scene? He tries. (laughs) tries. Yeah. It's not his cup of tea, but it's always fun to do it with him. Sure. He'll do it because you like it. That's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Well, let's get into it, Kelly. Tell us um tell us a little bit about yourself. And you know, I know you just mentioned you have a background in music. Um I could see how that could maybe play into counseling a little bit, but kind of tell us how you got into the into the therapy world and where you're coming from. Absolutely. So, um let's see. When I was 19 years old, I was actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder and it kind of launched me into a um seeking out of counseling and medication and um, just figuring out kind of what was going on with me. So I to give you a little bit of background, I started out at the University of Denver my freshman year of college and everything was going great. But then um, I started to get really depressed. So I went to my health center on campus and they recommended an antidepressant for me. But they didn't know I had bipolar yet. And so that actually swung me up into what I would later learn was a manic episode. 
And I just um, wasn't thinking clearly. I was like talking it up with strangers, um, acting kind of not like not myself at all. Wow. So I went back to the health center and I said, look, these antidepressant pills are not working. I don't know what's going on. I kind of explained what was happening. I was already a very creative person. Um, so I was like writing music, but then not finishing the songs or I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm Christian. So I was reading my Bible, but then that just kind of went to the extreme. So I was explaining all of this to the health center and they said, oh, it sounds like you might have actually bipolar disorder. So that's a different course of treatment. So that's sort of what got me interested in the psychology field was my own experience with mental health struggles. Um, And so after I was officially diagnosed with bipolar, I sought out a counselor and it was someone I really clicked with and she really helped me get through a hard time in my life. And um, at that time I was majoring in music in college at Westmont College in Santa Barbara. And um, yeah, it it was kind of a a journey to get where I was as a therapist. So I, I prayed into it and I was like, okay, God, what direction do you want me to go here? majoring in music, but I had this passion for psychology. Um, And I applied to Azusa Pacific, which is where I ended up going for graduate school. And I was thinking, well, I didn't have the best GPA in college and not even sure if I'll get into a grad school, end up getting in there. I got accepted early. So I felt like that was kind of a clear answer to prayer. And um, yeah, when I moved to Orange County to start at the Orange County Extension campus there, um, I, a job fell into my lap as a youth director at a church, the housing fell right into place. I just felt like, yeah, this is really where I'm supposed to be. I loved my program. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, was really passionate about the field. Yeah. That's very cool. I think a lot of the like cliche PT applicants have a, like, oh, I, whatever, tore my ACL playing soccer, you know, and went through PT myself or I blew out my rotator cuff while I was playing baseball. And so that's kind of interesting to hear that you have a personal experience, both as the clinician and as a patient on, on both sides of the treatment table. Do you feel like that helps you relate to clients better and, and kind of that- empathize with them? Yeah, absolutely. I say I like to approach my work from both a personal and professional perspective. Yeah, that is powerful. Tell us, tell us, um, I mean, we'll get into specifics, but give us a broad overview of who you help. Yeah, so I see um, adult individuals primarily um, in the state of Idaho. I can do telehealth, but I do a lot of in-person in Idaho Falls. Um, I also see some families, some premarital couples, and some teens and kids, but mainly adult individuals. And I do uh, EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And I specialize in that to help heal trauma. I can go into more detail about that if you're interested. Um, Yeah, we'll we'll touch on that in a little bit. Okay. I also do CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, to help clients reframe automatic negative thinking or thoughts. And then I help a lot with bipolar disorder. I do Christian counseling and I help with people with depression, anxiety, and relationship issues. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot um, (laughs) to deal with. Do you feel like that weighs on you as a provider sometimes? No. Okay. You're able to separate that. 
it really doesn't because I feel like I'm able to separate my personal life from my professional life. And I really feel like it's a privilege to be able to sit with clients in their pain and just be able to, it's an honor to be able to listen to their stories and that they can trust me to do that. Yeah, that is cool. I do like that aspect of the, um, of my field specifically, I guess I was um, thinking about going to medical school for a while mm-hmm. and just did a lot of self-reflection and was, you know, thinking maybe this isn't the right route for me. And um, I, I wanted to spend some more time with my patients. And I feel like a lot of the physicians are in and out within five minutes. And so mm-hmm. um, physical therapy seemed like a good uh, medium where I got to spend more time with my clients and see them kind of on a recurring basis and and get to <laughs> see their progress in a in a more up close and personal manner. So I like yeah. that you appreciate that aspect of things as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. What um what do you feel like the landscape is in the Southeast Idaho area for access to mental health. Are you like one of the only providers that works with these types of patients or do you feel like it's pretty accessible and available? Yeah, I actually feel like it is pretty accessible and available. Um, There's quite a few counseling clinics here in town. I've worked at a few of them as well before I started my private practice. Um, The thing is there's wait lists. That's the problem. There's Mm. Um, lots of need, but not enough providers. So that's one thing that people struggle with. Okay. So mm-hmm. you feel like it, it, it's still an expanding and growing field that there's still high demand for, but. Mm-hmm. There's okay. definitely high demand. Yeah. I think a lot of clinics have wait lists are as long as a few months or longer. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I can imagine that would be hard to hear as a patient where you're dealing with something potentially 24 seven and you're hearing, okay, I can't get into this person for three months. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have a wait list? Um, I'm just about <laughs> to start one. Oh, Not boy. quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, do those people, do they just stick it out or are they most of the time actively trying to seek other providers with maybe shorter wait lists or no wait lists at all. I think it's kind of 50, 50. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just kind of depending on maybe the, if they're seeing that, trying to see that provider for a specific reason or something. Sure. Yeah. If someone specializes in something like EMDR, they'll typically wait it out because there's not a ton of people that do EMDR. There are, there are a few in town. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, well uh, tell us a little bit more about that EMDR. It sounds kind of uh voodoo magic but <laughs> you have told me that yeah. it's not it's evidence-based and uh-huh. that it, it shows good efficacy in the literature so yeah kind of run us through what that looks like and yeah absolutely so emdr again it stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing so basically um what it's doing is it's integrating both sides of the brain to help heal the trauma so if someone has ptsd or trauma they might come seeking emdr therapy And people will pick a specific incident where there was a trauma. So say it was a childhood trauma or a present trauma, something like a specific incident. And then they would work through that in the protocol of EMDR. So if you think about trauma, um, you can think about fight, flight, or freeze. You've probably heard that before. It's pretty a common thing to hear about. Um, 
But if you get in that fight, flight, or freeze mode, trauma can get stuck in the brain and is not able to be fully processed through. So what EMDR does is integrates both sides of the brain to help heal the trauma. And I do that through tapping, which is why this is the part that sounds kind of funny. (laughs) Some people do eye movement where they watch a bouncing red light go back and forth and they follow with their eyes or follow fingers going back and forth, some have buzzers in the hands. I just happen to do tapping. So I have the client do butterfly tapping on themselves where they just cross their arms over their shoulders and tap back and forth, or they can tap on top of their knees, whatever they're most comfortable with. And as they're doing the tapping, they are processing through their trauma. So I say, um, and there's a, there's a protocol to it. So I'll go through a few different questions first. I'll have them um, talk about the, uh, the incident, the worst part of the incident. Um, I'll have them scale a few different things, including body sensations, like where they feel the disturbance in their body and um, how disturbing the memory is for them on a scale of zero to 10 with 10 being the worst. So as they're processing in the trauma, I'll say, go ahead and close your eyes and start tapping. And then they'll go ahead and start that. And then after they're done, I say, go ahead and open your eyes, take a deep breath in, breathe out. Now tell me what you're noticing now. And they'll share what came up with them in the processing. And again, as they're doing the processing, they're tapping the whole time. But as they're sharing them, they can stop the tapping. And then at the end of the protocol, when the client kind of gets one of the, the levels down from a 10 to a, say a zero or a one, then we can go into the installation, which is basically the end, um, wrapping up the protocol, making sure that the, the trauma's no longer affecting them. At say it started at a nine, they were able to get it down to a zero or a one. And then that would be a complete protocol. Wow. Okay. Lot to unpack there. Yeah. <laughs> so is the the tapping or the eye tracking, whichever methodology you go with, is that to kind of just bombard the central nervous system with different inputs of information, or or um, what's the what's the thought yeah. behind that? Could it be any any random movement? I guess I don't know. <laughs> I think yeah. It just it helps the brain that is is where the trauma gets stuck. It helps integrate both sides of it. So both sides are working to heal the trauma. So if you're going back and forth, the brain is not able to go across hemispheres and lobes to be able to process. When you're processing something, like you might see someone's eyes moving back and forth as an example, because they're processing what they're talking about. So when when the trauma happens, it gets stuck. So the tapping is able to utilize both sides of the brain to process, if that makes sense. Yeah. So when you ask a question to someone and as they respond or before they respond, they look off to the side or something. Right. They're thinking or trying to remember something. Interesting. So it's kind of playing into that natural instinctive behavior that we all do. Huh. That's fascinating. Do you, I'm sure there's multiple definitions, but is this, are you defining trauma as like a single event for most people or is it kind of a conglomerate of experiences or I'm yeah, sure. So actually we start with the trauma timeline where clients will um, make a timeline of both positives and then traumas, like make it balanced. Otherwise 
all the traumas can kind of outweigh the good. Oh, okay. But, yeah. And they'll pick from one of the traumas to process through. So they won't process through all of it at once. Um, they'll just pick a trauma and then they'll start processing through that one. So it's one at a time. So like a specific incident. Gotcha. Okay. And then the, I'm sure uh, you see people over repeated sessions. So is it, it's multiple sessions of the EMDR or are there? My cat is making some noise. Good. Um, so usually uh, some, sometimes a trauma can be processed through in one session. Other times it can take two or three. Um, the goal is to kind of process through it in one or two, I would say. If it's a bigger trauma, it can sometimes take longer. And I always tell clients we can always go back and reprocess through it if if some of, some of the memories come back or it's not fully processed. Yeah, that's great. I uh, I mean, so in my world, in the in the PT rehab world, we often can make some pretty drastic changes in someone's back pain or shoulder pain or whatever they're dealing with in one session. Um, but then it's important for my patients to continue to do stuff outside of the clinic to kind of reinforce what we've done and work on, you know, continued strengthening. I'm a big uh, proponent of strength as kind of an armor or a barrier to injury um, and things like that. So are they able to do this like at home themselves or do you have like different homework things for them to work on? Or, or how, what are they doing from doing it on their own? Because it's a really specified, um, protocol okay. be led by a therapist that's trained or certified in EMDR specifically. Gotcha. Um, there are some setup exercises I do for it. One is called calm place or safe place. And I do recommend that the client practice kind of the guided sensory imagery on their own. Um, that's a separate um, topic, but yeah. um, they basically go to their calm place through senses. So like sight, sound, taste, touch, and feel. Okay. Visualizing where their calm place is. And I recommend that they kind of practice that on their own, but not EMDR by themselves. Gotcha. Are there other strategies that you encourage your patients to do? Not necessarily just um, mental health strategies, I guess, but promoting, I don't know, do you talk to them about nutrition or exercise or any of that at oh, all? Oh yeah, that's a great question. Yes. So I'm not a nutritionist nor am I a physical therapist. So I have <laughs> fault to sure. for some of that, but I definitely at the beginning, I'll check in to see when's the last time you saw a doctor to make sure say their depression or their anxiety isn't physically related and it's actually a mental health problem. And then, okay. yeah, I'll absolutely check in with my clients. How, how are you eating? Are you sleeping? Are you exercising? Kind of the holistic approach to healing. Yeah, that's good. I Do you see that often then where people come in and their depression is more related to a physical limitation and you have to refer, you end up referring out? Yeah, or is... yeah I typically will ask them, when's the last time you had a physical exam to check out these issues? And sometimes they say, I haven't. Okay, well, let's do that first. <laughs> Yeah. At the time, they'll say, yeah, I have one last month and everything checks out. I said, okay, great. Now we know we're treating depression versus something else. And yeah. then I often refer for medication management as well. If say it's severe depression or something like that. Gotcha. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. I like that you 
kind of zoom out for a bit because I know same thing. I'm I'm not a nutritionist. I can't tell someone to start a keto diet, but I can ask them about their food intake and um, if they're getting enough protein or what their exercise habits are, things like that. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for <laughs> reinforcing that as well. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what do other sessions look like? So we've, we've talked a little bit about, um, trauma, but you also see people with generalized anxiety, um, mm-hmm. bipolar, you mentioned, what do some of your other sessions look like that aren't tr- trauma based yeah. necessarily? So I do cognitive behavioral therapy. That's a big part of a lot of my sessions. And so I talk about the cognitive triangle, which if you kind of visualize a triangle, it has three points. On one point, there's thoughts. Another point, there's feelings. Another point, there's behaviors. And clients will come in with negative thinking all the time. So I'll say, okay, tell me what's a recurring negative thought that you get. I can actually practice this with you, Jeff, to see a better example. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have like any negative thoughts ever cross your mind? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I think that I am inadequate to be doing what I'm doing with my own business. So soon out of uh, PT school, I went, I kind of went right into it. So just kind of, yeah. (laughs) Thought, the negative thought would be, I'm inadequate to be doing this business so quickly. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah. Okay. And then what negative feeling might follow that negative thought? Um, sadness, I guess, or um, depression. I don't know. That Maybe that's a, depression? a, a more intense word, but yeah, just uh, self-doubt. Okay, good. Yeah. Sadness, depression, or self-doubt. And then what negative behavior might follow that negative feeling or those negative feelings? I tend to sloth. So I I end up doing uh, nothing. Sometimes I just sit and kind of lay and um, am not productive with my work day. So procrastinate or withdraw or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if you were to take that initial negative thought and reframe it to something positive, yet believable or realistic, how would you reframe that thought? And this is the part that takes practice. Yeah. So this would be like, um, I am worthy of having a, a business so soon out of PT school. I am qualified and I know what I'm doing and I'm ready to uh, go on and, and succeed in my endeavors. And is that believable for you? Partly. <laughs> yeah. And make it fully believable for this example to work. What would a fully believable positive thought be? Um, Sorry, I'm I, putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, no, this is good. I like this. I would say I deserve success in my business. Perfect. Okay. So that's the positive thought. So then I won't go through the triangle again, but in return, positive feelings and positive behaviors will then follow the reframe of the automatic positive thought. So what I have clients do for homework is I'll have them write down their negative thought. And then next to it, I'll have them write down the positive yet believable or realistic thought. And then just keep track or tabs of these repeated negative thoughts typically that will come to their head. And then over time, the habit will be formed where 
I have reframed all these negative thoughts to these positive thoughts. So then the mind will start thinking the positive. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. How, how long does that journey typically take? It depends on how much the clients practice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It depends on great at practicing often. And sometimes they forget, which is totally normal and okay. So it just kind of depends. Or if someone just, really really negative and they have a hard time believing any positive thoughts then that's a challenge as well okay so i could see how this approach works for a wide variety of different uh problems so maybe like i don't know do you work with eating disorders at all i could see how that could be effective for that um sparingly it's definitely a specialized field so okay. and to refer out for that unless it's just um a minor problem or a problem amidst other things that they want to work on like anxiety and depression or something gotcha mm-hmm. what what do you feel like is the most challenging part of uh cognitive behavioral therapy either for you or for the patients that's a great question i'd have to think about that one um you mentioned patients. Yeah, I think it's it's probably I have a lot of clients that really had a hard upbringing, and they were never told positive things about themselves. They were mm-hmm. always told they weren't good enough, or they were bad, or whatever the uh, statement was. So to think about a positive statement with your thoughts is really challenging for some people. Yeah, they can't, can't think of a positive because all they've been told their whole life is what they're doing wrong or something negative, negative feedback. Wow. That does sound really challenging. Do you, um, I'm sure you try not to like lead the question or anything like that. Do you like prompt them on, um, how to create positive thoughts or, or how do you get out of that sticky point there? Absolutely. I'll give examples, um, for them. I say, you know, this is the part that takes practice. Like I told you, yeah. and say I can help you. You can recruit your therapist to help if you need that. And I oftentimes will do that to help. Oh yeah. That's very cool. Um, awesome. So cognitive behavioral therapy, and then another big component that you specifically work with is Christian therapy. You say mm-hmm. you, you identify as a Christian therapist. So tell yeah tell the viewers a little bit about what that means and kind of what clients you see in that realm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm non-denominational by faith. So I'm not LDS. A lot of the majority of population here in Idaho Falls specifically is Mormon. So um, I am kind of on the outskirts of that. Um, But yeah, I see a lot of Christian clients come to me with seeking spiritual direction. Maybe they have lost faith in God. They have a foundation in Christian beliefs, but they want to explore um, more about that. Or what else? Um, I do get other faiths as well. Um, Agnostic, atheist, Mormon. I, I see a whole variety of people. But the Christians that come to me typically are looking for a Christian counselor specifically because I can relate on their views and their morals and um, kind of just provide some direction with that. Okay. So you mentioned to me, you're not trying to like sway them either way necessarily, but you just give guidance, I guess. Yeah. I'm not there to proselytize, of course, as a therapist. (laughs) 
So, yeah. Um, yeah, if, if we share similar beliefs and they want to bring that into counseling and talk through that, I'm more than happy to do that. Gotcha. You, uh, you don't dissuade someone from coming to see you though, of differing beliefs or if they're trying to exit instead of enter, or if they, yeah, like they're thinking about leaving the church. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I'm not there to, um, to tell them what to do or what to believe. Um, just there to guide them in the direction that they want to go. Gotcha. Is that, is that your favorite um, kind of subspecialty that you work with the Christian counseling? Definitely. I would say. Mm -hmm. Okay. That seems like it could be very rewarding to combine your work and uh, your faith in, in one, you know, practice. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's very cool. What, uh, what other specialties exist? Not that you work with necessarily, but what other specialties exist um, that you often find yourselves yourself uh, having a hard time working through maybe, or that you often refer out for? Uh, we just mentioned like eating oh. disorders for one, um, but are there other subspecialties in the counseling world that are often, you know, highly sought after or... Um, yeah, so schizophrenia or dissociative identity disorder, which used to be called multiple personality disorder, yeah. kind of the more severe um, diagnoses. Yeah. I'd refer out for that if I didn't feel like outpatient was going to be enough for them or if I wasn't as well versed in that diagnosis. Gotcha. Yeah, <clears throat> there's a uh, in the PT world, I mean, there's so much um and it speaks to why the medical community i think is so specialized and why you have to go see five different physicians sometimes to to tackle one problem but yeah not uh not to take anything away from that at all so mm-hmm. i uh starting to wrap things up here but i i like to draw some similarities between um physical therapy and, and counseling or, or talk therapy. And so, um, we touched on this a little bit, but there are, I mean, I often see patients once, maybe twice a week. And so that's one out of 168 hours. And so it's very important for my, uh, patients to be doing things outside of the clinic too. So what are they doing with their time? How are they prioritizing things? Um, do you feel like people, and oftentimes it takes more than just one visit, right? It, it's not just a, a quick fix. Usually usually these things don't just happen overnight and um, maybe in trauma, I guess, in, in some cases they do happen overnight and, and are a one-time thing, but oftentimes they're, they're longer standing issues that require um, a bit of time. And so do you feel like you have strategies for people to um, work on things outside of their sessions with you, or are you getting a lot of the people that just come in for a quick fix? I don't know if, if you get that as much in the, in the counseling world, maybe not, maybe their mindset is a little different around that, but they just want to, they just want to get better. Like that's what I hear. I just want to feel better. Just want to feel better. Okay. Yeah. I do kind of explain them. It's not a one and done type deal counseling. 
can take time. Um, but yeah, for example, for anxiety, I do have some specific coping skills that I have clients practice outside of counseling and I'll go through it with them in counseling to begin with. So one of them would be like coping skills such as deep breathing um, or the five senses, which is a grounding technique. Um, yeah. Deep breathing, always breathing all your air out of your mouth first, because if you're tense and you breathe in, it's just going to make you more tense. So exhaling first and then inhaling nice deep breath and making your exhale longer than your inhale. <laughs> I teach deep breathing. I, yeah. I coach people a lot on that too. Cause um, yeah, it is interesting. Our, our uh, parasympathetic nervous system our our relax and our rest and digest system, if you will, seems to be more active with the exhale for whatever reason. And a lot of people get caught up in that, you know, short, <laughs> just chest shallow breaths. And so I love that you incorporate that. I've, I've found good results with helping people um, kind of treat general tension or or chronic pain as well. So that's, that's awesome that you're incorporating that too. Yeah. The other one is the five senses. And basically that one is just looking around the room that you're in and labeling five things you can see that are, I'll pick a random color that are green or blue or whatever. And then four things you can hear in the room, three things you can feel. So this would be like my back on the chair, my feet on the ground, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste or one thing you are feeling in the moment if you can't taste anything in the moment. Yeah. And that basically what that does is it helps ground you and bring you back to your present environment and um, keeps you in the present moment. So if you're having a panic attack, this is a great skill to use because it brings you back to the present. Yeah. Is there, are you prescribing like a frequency to do these exercises or is it kind of a as needed situation? Yeah, I encourage them to practice it um, when they are calm. That way they have the skill under their tool belt for when they do get a panic attack or anxious. But I don't prescribe like do it five times a week or anything gotcha. like that. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. What, uh, just to wrap up here, Kelly, what advice do you have? for our listeners that might be hesitant to start um, therapy with you or with, with anyone, I guess Um, maybe you feeling like, "Eh, that's, that's maybe not for me or I don't, I don't need therapy. I can figure it out on on my own. Do you have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. So I feel like everyone can do therapy because it helps you learn more about yourself And so I think everyone could benefit from it, whether you're in a super hard place in life, really depressed or not. It's great just to be able to talk through your feelings and your past because everyone has some sort of trauma, um, whether it's a small trauma or big trauma. It could be that you were bullied in school for having terrible acne. That would be a trauma. Um, Or it could be something a lot more severe, like abuse or something like that. Um, So I think everyone can benefit from counseling and there is still a stigma with mental health. That's the reality of it. And it's not something if you have depression or anxiety or something like that, can't just pull yourself up by your bootstraps all the time and get through it on your own. We're meant to be in community and to um, learn from others. And so I think by talking it through with a nerve, with a neutral third party, it can beneficial. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for being on. This has been really great. I think you 
you gave our listeners a lot of good advice in, in the throwing in the, you know, CBT example, right in the thick of things. That was really cool for them to see kind of what a session with you might look like and how that can be really beneficial for them. So if, uh, if people want to get in touch with you or, or contact you, reach out, where's the best place to find you? Yeah. So my business is Compassion Counseling. I'm in Idaho Falls. I'm, um, let's see, my phone number for the business is 208-557-1517. Or you can check out my website, CompassionCounselingPLLC.com. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks so much. Thank you guys for listening and until next time. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I just want to say thank you for listening to the Seeking Wellness Podcast. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss out on any of these great episodes. If you haven't left me a review yet, that would mean the world to me so I can implement any of your feedback that you have for me. And if you feel compelled to do so, share this out with more people because my goal is to connect with and help as many people as possible in our community. And finally, if you have any ideas for future episodes or suggestions on guests I should interview, please shoot me a message because I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again, and until next time.